Hello and welcome to the R717 Show, brought to you by Ammonia Refrigeration Training Solutions. We are the newest opportunity in ammonia safety training and compliance. We serve to advance ammonia as the safest and most efficient refrigerant known to man. Our podcasts are driven by industry and relevant to ammonia operators, mechanics, technicians, engineers, and safety professionals. Without further ado, help me welcome our host, Jeremy Williams. Well, good morning. This is Jeremy Williams with Ammonia Refrigeration Training Solutions. We got another episode today of the R717 show, and I'm so excited to have my friend Simon Clark on the show today. How are you doing today, Simon? Good morning, sir. Yeah, I'm very, very well. And you? I'm doing very well. Uh, where are you from? It sounds like you got a Scottish or a uh, Australian accent there. I mean, I oh, love that so stuff, a, man. I, yeah, I'm born, born in Liverpool in the UK, so it's a, it's a Celtic accent. It's a mixture of Irish and Scottish. So Liverpool's on the northwest coast of, of the UK, small um, industrial city, tough, tough city, very, very similar to Boston, really. A lot of, so that's where the accent comes from. Um, I, I I would think after the years of experience and where I've worked, it, I would have lost it. You have some of the most impressive systems I've ever seen by image. You know, I've known you now for about a decade in social media, and you have 30 plus years of experience of designing, installing, commissioning industrial refrigeration systems all over the world. Tell us a little bit about your background so we can have a little bit of a aptitude of where you're at, where you're from, and where we're going to be going with this podcast, talking about CK2 valves. Okay. So I started at the age, I think I was just turning 17, uh, left school. Um, higher education wasn't for me, wasn't that type of guy. So I, I, I kind of fell into the refrigeration industry, I think like most people do. And I started at the age of like 17. By the time I was 19, I designed my first industrial job. Uh, it was a uh, Grasso GSL 240 pump system going in with some two-stage recips on a cold store and so I always wanted to always wanted to learn and then from then with smaller companies I ended up working with the the JCI thing you end up working as like sales manager at JCI got to the year 2009 initially went with JCI then changed over it was with GEA or GEA yes sir uh, and then I spent the last 11 years in the Middle East uh, I, I love the job. I absolutely love this industry and it's been good to me and I've worked all over the world. So um, I've put in some huge jobs. So uh, the Middle East opened up so many different um, avenues to me because of the developing country and because some of the, the places in that region have got money. The plants were massive. So whereas you'd be lucky to say, OK, if you're selling three compressor, four compressor systems, you go, oh, that's a good order. I'm talking 25 compressors, one plant, brand new from start to finish, you know, $40 million fridge plants, huge things. And, and, and so, and then I went on my own. I was spent seven years on my own as a consultant and virtually every one of bar, bar a few, every one of the new projects in the Middle East, 26 countries I had a part in. So I would go to the customers and find out what the job was, get the information and design the best system that we could for, 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 for that job and then do the contracting. The contractor would do the installation, but I would oversee it and then, then help with the commissioning and that kind of thing. So I think I was installing from the, the years of 2009, 2020, 2019, I was installing probably 100, 150 compressors a year. Wow. Big numbers. Yeah, big numbers. Um, big plants, CO2, ammonia, pharmaceutical, oil and gas, indoor ski slopes uh ice rinks what you know you name it there was you know food everything and uh, so i enjoyed it out you know iran iraq qatar saudi arabia um pakistan singapore all over 
I've been to Brazil, North America. So Simon, you've been all over the world putting in these systems. I mean, starting at 19 years old and then going from <laughs> all the places that you just talked about, you know, what is the most impressive system or the one that you favored the most in your memory that you were part of? Right. So first of all, places, uh, the, the best place I've ever visited is a little place in, in city, an old uh, country, Syria, called Aleppo. And the, the Aleppo, the city, is the, the oldest continually inhabited city in the world. So I'm talking thousands of year old culture, and the people are the nicest people I have ever met, which is strange in the current environment. And the, you know, these are lovely people. So I've done some projects, the projects where I sit back and go, yeah, that's good. Um, there was one in Dubai for a food processing plant with 12 Micom 320s or 250s and 320s in. Um, probably a 40, 35, 40 million dollar project. And that took two and a half years going from concept through to design and putting it in. And it's a great project. It's a great project. And the other one was at the time, it was the world's largest CO2 plant in Iran on an ice cream factory. Um, and that had, uh, on the CO2 ammonia cascade, we had 19 compressors. And then there was an ammonia only, which done like two thirds of the, the cold stores or the freezers. That had five compressors. The equipment alone for that would be something like just to buy the plant, 12, probably 12 million. Then you've got all your installation costs and everything. They're the two that stick in my mind. I go, look, they're a little bit special. The norm would be seven compressors, nine compressors, 12. It's normal. I always try and look at it. I don't, I don't, I don't want to be. I always try and look at, um, especially the world, the world is going, is looking at energy costs and how can we do what you need to do, but use you the, the least amount of energy to do that job. And if I can save you, it's, you know, I can put in X and X will work, but it's a bit crap. But if I put in Y, I'm going to save you $100,000, $200,000 a year running costs and your mm -hmm. return on investment is three years. I've never met a business in a life that says, yeah, that sounds great, Simon, but I want to put the shit in. It's I want yeah. to put the good stuff in. I want to put the good stuff in. Yeah. Um, so that's where I come from. I've done a ammonia heat pumps, which are really smart, simple. Been around for years, but the people are, are a bit slow on the uptake. Um, so that, I like that kind of thing. But I take a great pride in everything I do, and I've, I've learned a, a lot through. I've made a million mistakes. I've made a million, um, but I'm also like to stand back from the plants and go, "Yeah, that's okay. That's okay." And what, and what would I change? Would I would I would I do this differently? Would I change that suction temp? Would I change that? compressor manufacturer all 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 different things you, you're never totally happy but but i take a great pride in what i do and if you see me pictures on, on you know on all the, the social media they look like google they're all nicely painted and and i'm a firmly believe if the plant room looks good it normally runs good those techs can take the time to to do the, the, the crappy stuff that no one wants to do if there's an oil leak or a glycol leak or whatever someone can take the time to to make that plant room spotless. They will find the faults. They will get used to how the plant sounds, how the pipes touch, either you know the feel of the, the pipes, discharge, suction, thinness, ethanol, best tools you've ever been given are your hands, your ears. Use them. So that's that's where they come from. That's just amazing. You know, when I saw some of your stuff starting to pop up on social media the last few years and, you know, looking at it and talking to you, we're, we're one in a line in the passion. Speaking to you before the podcast began, you know, every day dealing with refrigeration is just another day. It's not necessarily work and whether yeah. it was good or bad, learn from it and try to move forward. And I try to put as many people as I can around me that know so much more about this, just so that I don't have to learn everything. And, you know, you have that resource of being able to go to that person that's an expert. And I look up to you much, Simon, and your accomplishments. Yeah. 
Oh, thank you very much, Sarah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know whether all of it's justified, but I certainly have got a passion, and, and I think everyone should have. I get a bit frustrated with the the, the, the new guys coming through, um, and you just you know you're, you're looking to see that spark, you're looking to see that desire to say, look, I want to learn, I want to make mistakes, I want to tell me why today we're fitting a blue one and yesterday it was a red one, mm-hmm. or why is this valve this size and this valve looks the same but it does something different. I just I struggle. I lose. I think it's because the older I'm getting, I'm getting stubborn. I lose patience, but I'm like, come on, guys, you you can't. I think because of the world we live in, everyone wants a quick book. They want to do the least amount of work for the most amount of of money. And and life, unfortunately, is not like that unless you're one of the exceptional few. Um. So so my, I'm a firm believer in that you should you should put the desire and you should put the 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 effort into learn. So I will help anyone, absolutely anyone, as long as it's a two way street. What I won't do. It's just keep spouting off information. If I'm looking at the guy and it's going, look, this isn't sinking in this, and he's got no desire for it to sink in. So I, 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 I learned off. I, I learned off a, lovely, a lovely old man. Um, he's probably dead now. I haven't checked on him, but he's probably dead. I think when I was the time, like 1920, this guy must have been 86. But he was, he was super smart, super smart. And I've still got notes that he used to leave around the plant, and I'd pick them up and keep them. I've still got them. I've still got a book in my drawer in, in, the, in the office with calculations, hand calculations that I've done from 1993, 1994. Mm, yeah. I still use them. I still use them. So it's, it's, it's a great industry. It's a great industry. You can go anywhere in the world. It's been really good to me. I've got to be honest. It's been really good to me. I've met some lovely, lovely people. Um, I've done some great jobs. I've been very fortunate to work with some really good guys and learn from them. Say, okay, teach me why why is this? And that's even down to how the compressors work. And all the manufacturers have got some clever guys. Tie into them, tap into them. Why is this compressor different to this compressor? Don't get sold on the the some of the, the, the tales of efficiencies that aren't there and, and all, all the competitive reviews or everyone find out how a Sabra works, how a Grasso works, how a Frick works. And, and they're all different. And there's benefits and there's the strengths and weaknesses to them all. Find out what they are. And that able, enables you to put in the correct plant at the correct temperatures and the correct pressures and the correct control philosophy. It just opens up so many things. And then you become better at sales. You become better at, as a tech. You become better every different part of it. You should have the ability to walk into a plant, say, okay, tell me the suction pressures, discharge pressures, oil time, whatever it is, and then be able to, to plot what the system is, and then that will take you to where the faults are. That's why I love it. Mother Nature never, ever lets you down. You know, it goes from hot to cold, and it goes high pressure to low pressure. It's never going to fail you. So if you can start looking past just the pipes, look what's going on inside the pipes, and have a fundamental understanding of that, you become far better, you become far more satisfied in your job, you become far more driven to accomplish more. It's just a better, better way to live, I think. I'm not just after it, pay me my salary and I'm going home. That's not what I am. No, I agree with you 100%. You know, being in education for the last 15 plus years, you know, you get to spend four or five, six days with some of these people and they're not going to become a doctor in four or five days if they weren't one before they came in, nor ammonia techs. Yeah. But I tell them, if I do my job right, you'll have nightmares for the next four or six months of you actually being inside the pipe, going through this mechanical refrigeration system from component to component to component, changing state through heat transfer. And yeah. when you can see it from the inside out, you can go anywhere in the world in refrigeration, not just yeah. ammonia. It's, it's, and, and, and I miss the characters. 
I kind of think I'm a bit of a character. I mean, I'm a nice guy. I'm a, I can be a bit of a fool as well, but I'm a nice guy. The, the industry's losing them, and I don't want it to. Don't want it to. I want it because it's been good to me. And, I, and if, if kids coming out of school could see what you could achieve by being really good at this job, why would you want to do it? My sons are my sons are coming of age now. One's eighteen, uh, early nineteen, and one's seventeen. They once come in the industry. He said, "Dad, you've done all right. You've done all right, haven't you?" I went, "Yeah, I've loved every minute of it, and and, and that's and that's how it should be. You know, you do it till you're sixty-five. God, God spares you. Why don't you enjoy what you do?" It's a good question. You know, it's something yeah. that we all got to ask ourselves every day, especially when you have your highs and you have your lows. You know, there's, don't, there's times in your way you think, "Oh, that what a bad day that was." But I still get up the next morning, you know, let's go again, let's drive on. I'm lucky enough to have worn most hats now. I've been in most positions, so I've been a um, sales engineer, project management. I was a tech. I wasn't long on the, on the tools, to be honest, but our path in the UK tends to be you have a job progression where you go from the tools into the office and then into the office onto sales. And then and that doesn't seem to happen in the States. So you're either a tech or you're a sales engineer or an engineer. And I, and I think People miss out on that because the, it's the tech, it's the engineering, or what's going on in these pipes that helps you better. It makes you better at sales. It makes you better at project management. So at every part of the job, it's cool. It really is cool. No pun intended, huh? No pun intended. But no, I, I've been lucky. I've got a, I've got a money. I, I love, love this job. I've got a money tattooed on my arms and everything. I'm, a, I'm strange. <laughs> I'm a bit strange. Yeah. We'll have to but, get one of those pictures and put it at the bottom of the yeah, cast so people old, can see how well you are. An old compressor and a gas mask and all. Yeah, I'm a bit crazy, but yeah. All right. Well, let's tie into why I researched and I wanted to interview you. You know, we've been dealing with a lot of different defrost applications. You've put in a lot of freezers and every yeah. freezer out there is going to need some type of defrost. And yeah, everybody argues which one's the best, which one's the most efficient. Irregardless of thoughts there, what I want to focus in on something is that we've been having problems with the United States, I think, for a long time that nobody wants to talk about it. But the last decade or so, we're having more and more things blow up by condensation-induced hammer or vapor-propelled liquid. And it's literally because of probably a half-inch solenoid or somebody back in a control room on a toggle switch, literally closing a solenoid, opening up pneumatic stop valves. And these pneumatic stop valves, generally Parker RS, CK2, the Hanson, you know, CK2 variation. Uh, What's your thoughts of the CK2? Is there things today that could be replacing it? And I just want to kind of yeah. get your feedback before we get into yeah. the technical sides of it. Yeah. So, no, it, 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 you know, the CK2 has been around for years. But again, it's to go back to the system is to look at the system and say, look, is that the best approach for whatever I'm doing? So you have to look at, first of all, why why do you need to do the defense? do the defrost and is that you know you're picking up uh, moisture and frost on and in the coils and okay can we limit that can i limit how many defrosts i need to do if i don't have to do as many defrosts i don't give myself the same risks so that's one part then you're looking okay what's the what type of evaporator am i doing is it a spiral freezer coil is it a blast freezer coil is it a, a freezer coil and and what's the best application and then the other thing is cost it always always goes down to cost and you'll have seen hundreds of ck2s do they work? Yeah. Do they give you an element of risk? Yeah. The system, if you don't take the right thought process and the right design philosophy, you could give yourself problems with any of them. So it's not that I like the CK2 as a valve that's got its issues. The, the same manufacturers actually build alternatives, which are more expensive than the CK2, but they're better. They haven't got the same risks involved with the CK2. But people are obviously bound by money. And I, I, I think it's a failure in some of the guys to say, look, 
we can replace this valve and we can give you a better valve with less risk, but it's going to cost you more to put in, but it'll pay for itself in, but people don't do it. Um, it's every job I look at is, is, is different. So on the defrosting type, whether it's gas reverse cycle, glycol, I put glycol defrosts in, I've used the oil cooler load to defrost the cooler rather than use hot gas, loads of things. But on a, on a hot gas one, you can put in a cheap, simple solution um, there's always a payback to doing the proper job. These guys, Parker and Danfoss, they wouldn't make the valves if there were no good, if there wasn't a benefit to them, because they wouldn't bloody sell them. So That's true. Yeah, they wouldn't. I'm like, there's a, there's a better solution than that. What's the benefit for me? So is there a benefit for me changing from a CK2 to a CK5 or a, a 9 or an 8 or whatever it is? Mm-hmm. What's the application? What do I need to do? What's the risk if this goes wrong? What, what, what type of system is it? What, what was old? So it's got to be a benefit for them to make these other valves. And they kind of tell you in their own books. It's susceptible to dirt and debris. It, it, it needs to, to vent back to the, to the below the piston to the wrong side of the valve. Some of them don't do that. Everything goes back to, can you understand what's going on inside the pipe? Do you know the risks involved and what's going on, in, on inside the pipe? How can you mitigate them to be the, the safest, most efficient defrost you can have? And I had, you'll probably see that on, on social media, I'm ruthless because I actually believe hot gas defrost is the worst name in the refrigeration industry because it's not the hot gas that's doing the job. It's the condensing of the refrigerant inside the coil that's giving you most of the heat that's doing what you need to do. And I've spoke to people who don't understand the fundamentals and they tell me they've got 25 years experience. And I'm like, well, you might have one year experience 25 times, but that's not 25 years experience. That's a different thing. Understand what's going on. Understand the risks, the vapor propelled liquids. What can happen if the, 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 the gas condenses too quickly? What happens if it goes the other way around? Look at the risks involved and say, right, what can I do to, to, to mitigate those problems? So let's give the listeners kind of an idea of what we're looking at in our mind here. You know, we got a, a big spiral freezer or a big blast freezer. It's got a lot of ammonia in it working at negative 40, negative 50 degrees. And when we put yeah. that into a gas defrost, you're exactly right. You're turning what we call fundamentally an evaporator into a condenser. And it doesn't care if it's an evaporator. It doesn't care if it's a condenser. But that transition of changing those pressures and temperatures is where it becomes dangerous. Because if we do that too fast, like you said, yeah that liquid's going to expand and it's going to propel like a bullet yeah. down the barrel or, or vice versa, the gas and, condenses. And, and, and until you've seen it, and unfortunately I've seen it, the results of when it happens are shocking. Absolutely. It is like a bullet going down a barrel. I've seen it take weld caps off and things like that. It's horrendous. If it goes wrong, it goes wrong major. It's not just a little bit wrong. It's you're going to kill someone. You're exactly right. Like you said earlier, I'm not against the manufacturers who build valves such as the CK2, but let's imagine that we are in a defrost. We're under defrost pressure. We got, let's say, 80 PSI being held in the evaporator to raise the pressure so the gases condense. Yeah. And that CK2 is just a big stop valve is all it is, but it could that's open all instantly. Yeah. So if and, you open that too quickly and you've got a coil because of... Physics thermodynamics, I've got a coil that's sat at 80 PSI and I may be on a, on a low temp suction, which may be in a vacuum or 5 PSI too, is irrelevant. I've got a pressure difference. So that nice warm liquid that's sat now in my coil will go, I don't want to be here anymore. And I'm flying down this pipe straight back into your suction accumulator or whatever else you've got. Can't stop it. It's, it's physics. It never, ever lets you down. You have to design ways to say, okay, how can I combat this 
this phase and this transition from high pressure to low pressure, from feeding liquid to not feeding liquid, how can I go from those transitions to do it safely? What controls do I need? What valves do I need? What safeties do I need? And then you've got to put it across to your either your owner or your client to say, this is why I may be more expensive than, than another company. This is the benefit to you. Absolutely. So, you know, in the United States, we're highly involved with ocean EPA regulations like process safety management and the risk management plans, programs, et cetera. These companies that have enough ammonia on site have to do these systematic process hazard analysis. And a lot of the U.S. plants are used to what they call like what if or what if checklist where they go through all these various scenarios and yeah. come up with questions like what if. So this is my question to you and you just kind of just shoot off whatever you think. So let's say, Simon, that we have a, a, a freezer right now, a sub-zero freezer, negative 20, 30, 40 in defrost. And what if somebody closed the pilot solenoid, which is the small solenoid that feeds hot gas to the CK2 to make it close. They close that solenoid. That valve is just going to instantly open, literally open. And if you're under defrost pressure, like you said earlier, let's say 80, 90 PSI, and I don't know, low pressure in a vacuum on the other side. Yeah. That ammonia is going to move. It's going to blow something apart. Yeah. So you're now getting vapor propelled liquid. Yeah. 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 So it, it, it does. And it normally occurs at a couple of points in the defrost. Um, first of all, the start of it, it can happen and um, when the coil's cold and then also, and then conversely at the end of it, it can happen. Obviously that's the worst scenario. It literally takes off like, like a bullet, the refrigerant, the, the, because of the pressure difference, because of the temperature difference, the refrigerant, because of the laws of physics moves suddenly and at such a velocity, it can be catastrophic to pipe. Then, then it can be catastrophic to personnel near the pipe. So. You've got to try and avoid those things, and you've you've said that obviously one of the scenarios was a was a pre, was a a power down, and you lost power. There's actually valves that are manufactured which will remain ten percent open if you lose the power. Better solution. So Far that would solution. should be a better solution. Let me throw this thought at you: like uh, in the United States again, like the PHA, we were supposed to ask a lot of what ifs. So give me just a second to get to our today's sponsor. This is Camco Lubricants. Camco Lubricants is located in Ham Lake, Minnesota, and they're a lubricant manufacturing supplier for industrial refrigeration oils and food-grade lubricants for your machines that last longer, perform better, and increase the life of your equipment. Camco has been providing the highest quality products for now more than 30 years. Their website is camcolubricants.com. That is C-A-M-C-O lubricants.com. Should the CK2 be installed opposite of the arrow flow on the body so that the pressure that is in the system, such as being in a defrost, actually keeps the valve closed until pressures are equalized. Yeah, the CK2 and the CK, I think the CK5 as well, you can you can install them either way. Um, if you're doing hot gas defrost on a gravity-fed system, you'll have one the right way and one the wrong way according to your normal thought process. Yes, sir. So if, if that and when you're looking at the system is going to cause you or get rid of the issues you have with the vapor-propelled uh, liquid refrigerants, then that can be done. But there are better solutions with valves than just the CK. CK2 is the cheapest valve to do. It's the cheapest one. So tell these people what the CK5 is, because that's the one that has a regulator built in, right? And what is its purpose to do? So on the CK5s, will remain closed. No, 5 is the same as an instant quarter CK2, remain closed in the event of power failure during defrost. The CK2D and the CK6D will stay 10% open. 
So that 10% being open on those two valves, if there was a power failure, it's not going to take like basically a six inch pipe and just open it instantaneously. It's it's Correct. just going to bleed it through like a bleed. bleed it's a bleed it through, yeah. It's uh, anything you can do. I used to always fit a, um, a bypass around the main valve mm-hmm. um, to equalize the pressures at the termination of a defrost. You go through your your obviously your pump out phase, you go through your hot gas phase, then you go through an equalization phase, and then you'd start back going into the refrigeration side of things. But that equalization phase, if I can equalize the pressure from my coil and my vessel or pipe, wherever I'm putting it to, I stop that that liquid transfer, that surge that can happen. Then you've got to make sure that the pipe work is, is, I always try and put it in the highest pressure possible to save myself some energy. So if I can do my defrost load at a higher temperature and pressure, than, than than the lowest load. If I've got an intermediate vessel or I've got a defrost relief, I put a defrost relief line and throw that into an intermediate pressure and I'm making the plant more efficient. So I always used to use, but it's a cost thing. I always used to use the CK, or oh, the next one up. Is it an eight or a nine, which has got the two pilots on top of it? Yeah. And there's one to, it has one to, to close it and one to bleed it around the suction. That, that to me, better is a better solution. Um, but again, more expensive. But these guys make, there's a multitude of valves that that RS um, Danfoss they all make them the better solutions than a CK2. The CK2 issue you probably find in the states is that the most common valve. I would say that in the last 20, 30 years, and most of these plants that have been built, you're most likely going to find a CK2 involved with hot gas defrost. I see that if I was to put a CK2, then I'd be looking about switching it. I've got to be honest, I've never switched it around the arrow wise, but because I'd normally put an equalization line around it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they can work in both ways, can actually work that the CK2s and the fives you can put in either direction. But normally I would have an equalization solenoid around that. If it's a, the coil's big, I'd have a soft gas phase before I've got the hot gas phase. Phase, so I'm trying to build the pressures up gradually rather than slamming open valves on the, the initiation of the defrost. I'm, um, I'm trying to equalize before I terminate the defrost. But all these valves cost money. Someone has to weld them in. Someone has to wire them in. Someone has to write the control logic to do it. So looking at all these opportunities with basically stop valves on your defrost systems with hot gas or cool gas defrost, uh, CK2 by far is at least what I see as maybe the most common. Maybe it's because of the cheapest to install. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah. But opportunities out there, uh, regardless it's the CK2 or whether you have the bleeds coming in or out, there's risk. Like you said earlier, and that risk has to be managed. Yeah. And I see like starting this, you know, like you're finding and I'm finding that more and more people are coming into this industry Um with not as much knowledge that, you know, somebody such as yourself has, or even I've been blessed to be mentored by my dad my entire life on this, and they just don't know. And I mean, yeah, it's, you- it's hard for them to know, like, how, what, even what, is, what does it mean when a solenoid's in manual or auto, or what do you yeah. mean it's a pneumatic valve? And they're yeah. up there doing defrost manually, and they have no idea of what could happen if they miss yes. a step or get out of it, or it's scary, how many- how many plants have you been to where all of a sudden someone will be a crash and a bang and a pipe will shake off the wall and you're going, oh, that's not good. And they go, oh, it's, it's always like that. But actually, in fact, it shouldn't be like that. I like the term I always use is quiet. Everything should be quiet in control and operation. You don't, when you've got things crashing and banging and shaking, that's never a good sign. It's no. never, ever a good sign. Um, so look at the, look at the issues. It's, it's the plant's not designed to run like that. Quiet operation, steady operation, moving from you don't want that you don't want the the peaks in your control in your suction pressures as well. 
you know, everyone says, I, anyone can make cold, anyone that's easy to do. I can lower a set point, I can run a compressor, I can, I can make cold. Yeah. Making it efficient is a different thing. And making totally it safe different. too at the same time, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's um, it's totally, totally different. And, and to take the time to say, okay, um, this is what can happen. This is what I should be looking for to 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 mitigate those those risks. To say, look, we've done as much as we can. You're still not going to account for stupidity. You're still never going to account for that. No, I'm shocked that the guy. You know, we've got some good Texan, and you know, I'm finding my way around the states, and um, we've got some good Texan in the northeast, some really good Tex. But I'm shocked to find that the guys going to the college for the union side of things, they don't touch industrial refrigeration. They learn how to braze or they learn how to weld pipe. They learn some of the, the theory, but they're not they're not told this is what else you can do and see, and this is what the plant does. To me, one end sucks, one end blows, still the same. Still the same, it's just on a bigger scale, but the risk involved is much, much bigger, much bigger. And, and you're talking, you tend to talk big capacities, big tonnages when you're talking blast freezers, spiral freezers. They're big duties, that's big liquid transfer movements. You know, I used to work on those three quarters, of the, if I'm defrosting a coil, three quarters of that volume could come, come, come back in one go, mm-hmm. if I'm not careful. So so what am I doing to, to stop that? Is my suction accumulator big enough? You know, I, can I cope with that surge volume? Am I defrosting too many coils at the one time? Am I putting too much load on the plant when I do it? Am I generating enough hot gas to do the defrost that I think I need to do? Is it the right quality? Is it the right pressures? Is it the right temperatures? I like defrost drainers. I've got to be honest. I like I like on a big coil, I like a defrost drainer, a float with the, with the hand expansion. Yeah, that's what I prefer. And I prefer to control the inlet pressure going into the coil. Instead of holding so it back. Yeah, yeah. That's what I prefer to do. So if I, especially if I'm looking at the, the plant operational side and I might want to float the head pressure up and down. If I'm floating the head pressure up and down and then doing defrost at various times a day, the mass flow through all my valves is changing because mm-hmm. the condition of the refrigerants I'm putting through is changing. Whereas if I can control that on an outlet pressure regulator, say, okay, that's that. Well, it doesn't matter what I do on the discharge side, my hot gas line is going to be set at 75, 80 degrees, whatever it is. That's what I want. That's going to be constant. And then I know that I'm, that's the, my worst case scenario feeding into the evaporators. I then control what can be condensing pressure is based on that. And then I know on my timing of my defrost, I want to be. I want to use the latent load. So a defrost drainer allows me to always rely on the latent load. I'm condensing. I'm condensing at the right pressure, and I'm moving that refrigerant back into the low side of the plant. And then the ones that they make with the thing to heat is it the one with it? Is it a D uh, expansion valve around it? So a yeah. cold yeah. bridge inside the coil. I like them. But they're yes. expensive. They're expensive. Yeah, you don't see those that much in the United States compared to the other typical hot gas defrost where you're holding back pressure instead of having downstream pressure. Yeah, why um, why is why is that? Is that because of cost or why is you know I don't have an answer for that. I don't know, to be honest with you. I just what I've seen and experienced and you know, writing a uh, chapter about gas defrost systems from one of my prior books. Uh, most of that chapter was focused on uh, holding back pressure, not having downstream pressure, just due to what we see in the field by designs. You know, we showed both options there from education, yeah. but yeah. having the float, you know, there's liquid leaving it. Yeah. And you I know, know it stayed to condense. Yeah, it's done the job. Um, it's been the most efficient defrost I can have, especially if I've got the outlet pressure of my regulator set to the right value. You don't want to set too high. 
the, the, the actual, the enthalpy difference and the latent load of that condensing, if you raise the temperature, actually makes things worse. So you're better off having the lowest condensing temperature you can have with the right enthalpy difference and the right um, latent energy to do the defrost. Because it goes down to mass. If, if I've got a certain fin size coil with a certain fin spacing and a certain frost buildup, it's a certain quantity of frost that I've got to take from minus 10 to 32. Mm-hmm. And then I've got to make that frost go from 32 to change state to be water. And then I've got to get it from water to 40 degrees to get it to go out the drain. Yep. That's an equation. That's an amount of heat I need to do. I need to move that amount of energy to get that, that to defrost. And how much of that is actually going in the coil and how much is getting pissed into the room? Um, what can I do to improve it? How much money can I save doing it? There's so many things to consider. To consider and what I find that most people just look at is copy-paste copy paste copy paste it's the same solution this is how we've done it then and, and on, on this on this site and so this is how we'll always do it with the same issues and the same and i'm thinking you're just wasting energy you're making you're, you're giving yourself risk you can do without you know if you're talking about a 200 200 300 ton carton freezer big coils that's a lot of that's a lot of gas it's a lot of condensing it's a lot of refrigerant you're moving it's a lot of BTUs to move for sure. It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. You know, don't don't change it. So that's how I look at it. I always look at, you know, you guys will be far more experienced in in individual problems. I don't live, you know, I have the odd problem, but I can't ever ever say that I've had hundreds of problems with CK2s. It's not something I would put in if I had to if I if it was if I was designing a plant, I wouldn't put it in. Well, I appreciate your opinion. And I would agree with that now that with what we know as time surpasses, I mean, it's just scary seeing some of these pictures and videos and dealing with some of these investigations from the government on these perspectives, you're talking thousands of pounds of ammonia coming out of these pipes. And when you see what happens to the pipes, the end caps to the splitting, it's, it's amazing to think that the refrigerant could have that much force and that much propulsion to create these things and a simple valve opening causing that. Now there's many things that could lead to that valve opening, whether it's a programming or an operator making a bad decision or them flipping a toggle switch or a power to glitch. But as an engineer, if you're having a lot of potential risk, you don't want to just have one line of defense, which is an operator. I think that at least if the CK2 valves used, if it's installed backwards, at least on a wet suction header coming off, yeah, that valve will remain closed, even if it's the pilot valves yeah. trying to open it, because the pressure is keeping yeah. it closed until it equalizes. Correct. So you bleed it. So yeah. I think that that's something that should be considered at minimum. And I don't even think that most people even know that they, don't, they haven't looked at the schematic. Yeah, but, it's, uh, um, I think it's, it's either something like three PSI or I'm just off the top of me, three PSI or five PSI difference. It'll start it to, to close back down um, for what's on top of the piston, for what's below the piston. It's something like that. So yeah, it's you know, but, but, but I've got to be honest. I've never, um, I've never, t- I've never intentionally, unless it was on a gravity fed system, I've never intentionally put one the wrong way around. But I've always put a bypass around them. Yeah, we always recommend if the freezer is going to work at you know at least ten degrees or colder to have that bleed around yeah. it, you know, so that you can bleed that pressure. But it's just another line of defense. So I always want to do this with the podcast and with the people that we get a chance to interview. You know, I deal directly with the operator, mechanic type technician person, Um, you know, people that are driving the refrigeration systems and some of them that are working with it, whether it's about the CK2 or anything else, you know, what would you like to leave for the entry level operator, somebody that's got four or five, six months experience 
dealing with the money for duration, what would be your best insight for them and something that they could take from a mentor such as you to try to understand a little bit better about ammonia for duration or ammonia safety, Simon? From a personal point of view, anyone who's in the industry, utmost respect for anyone who's in the industry, whether you've been doing it for a month or 40 years, for the youngsters starting out is, to, as you said before, to tap in to the knowledge base and the resources that are available. Don't do anything, you know, think, don't do anything that you think may be at risk or you shouldn't be doing. Don't just assume you've seen someone do it and so that makes it okay, it's okay for you to do. Um, you might just, you miss, miss one part of, the, of the, the phasing out and you end up with problems. You may have seen them do it 10 times, but missed one part of it and then you've got an issue. But the main thing for me is to, is to learn, just keep, I learn every day, even now I keep learning every day, is to listen to the guys who know, the guys who you're working with, the guys who you respect, take as much knowledge as you can, go back home and when you're sitting on the toilet, instead of looking on YouTube, get a fridge book out, read a fridge book, um, just take the time to, to learn and then the resources are there. The, I think it's either refrigeration specialties or part. Is it Parker make a make a, a book podcast defrost for ammonia refrigeration systems? Mm -hmm. It's a great, it's a great book um, for the resource. Not saying it's perfect. Not saying there's other different ideas that go around it, but as a base knowledge as to what you're trying to do and what the risks are involved, it's a great uh, publication. So I would I would say to any young guys, get that, read it. If you don't understand it, ask someone who, who can explain it to you. If you need to contact the valve manufacturers, ask them why they should fit a CK5 instead of a CK2 or a CK6. Or a, there's, there's benefits for doing things. If you don't know why it should be done, find ask the question. Just always ask questions. Um, it's a great industry, and just go careful. It can be very, very dangerous. And you know, I've, I've had some accidents and things, but nothing, nothing for the, the too bad on the ammonia side and the ammonia leakage side. But you know, it's just go careful. This stuff can it can bite you on the backside very, very quickly. I appreciate that knowledge you're leaving for these folks. And I agree is that if you can grab something and read it and ask questions, there's a long, long way you can go in this field. You can go anywhere, and you know, and, and, and I suppose knowing your nature and you knowing your father's nature and everything else, if anyone needs to reach out, you know, you've got resources. I know that's what your business is. You're there to help people. If people want to learn and want to do it, go on your training courses, go on the online, go to the classes. You want to develop, but don't expect don't expect to be earning big bucks and putting in half the effort. It doesn't work. How how can people get hold of you, Simon? Are you on social media? Uh, on social you know? media, yeah, I'm on social media. Um, just look for Simon Clark and your your family, and then I'm on uh, obviously through you as well through with the your your uh, Facebook account and everything else. You find me there, or I'm in work work up in the in the northeast for the um, um, ARC. Just reach out for me. Anyone needs any help? My phone's always on. I'll I'll help anyone if I can. Yeah, for sure. Get, I'll put some of your links uh, to you, yeah. LinkedIn, Facebook, your email, phone yeah. number. I'll put that at the bottom of the podcast. They can reach out to you directly. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm always here. always here to help. Still, you know, still help anyone. I'm looking at some good projects. Well, so, thank you, yeah. Simon, for coming on today. And we wish you the best until we get a Listen. chance to see you again. Just keep it in the pipes. Yeah, and you take care. Uh, best wishes to everyone and all the family. And stay safe. All right. Thank you, Simon. That wraps up today's R717 show. If you are seeking a specific topic or would like to be a part of the next episode, give us a call today. If you enjoyed today's topics, please like and share. Thank you from all of us at Ammonia Refrigeration Training Solutions. And until we meet again, keep it in the pipes.